This episode is brought to you by PitchDMM, the football fan app that gives fans a voice and allows you to rate your team, the players, and pick your formation and your squad in real time, every game, and compete with your mates. Have fun whilst generating a voice that will be listened to. Your club, your voice, be heard. Get it now on Google Play and download it on the Apple App Store. You are listening to an official podcast from Kings of Europe, your football link to the European Super Leagues. And it is third place World Cup third place Saturday. Welcome everyone to the Kings of Europe and uh, the exciting Saturday before the final that is the third place game. We have today England and Belgium and I can say collectively the three of us right now, none of us are watching it. We're instead we're recording a podcast <laughs> to talk about the final tomorrow. Um, third place game, outdated, uh, outlived this welcome. We'll talk a little bit about that, but um before we do, uh, as, as we sit here, I am uh, greatly outnumbered today by two Royal Blues from Gelsenkirchen, uh, the hosts of the FC Schalke podcast. Richard Carmen and Jack Mangan have joined me today to discuss one last time the 2018 World Cup in Mother Russia. We are going to not talk about the third place game. We're going to talk a good bit about the final tomorrow, um, what led up to it, how we got here. Jack and I, I, well, I think Jack picked France in the final. I know Richard and I did. So I think the three of us are three for three on that pick. Uh, actually, I will say Jack and I picked a perfect four for four in the quarterfinals. We did not miss a single match in predicting the quarterfinal outcomes. Uh, I did tweet that out, but um, I didn't put too much steam behind it. But it was pretty cool that we actually got all those right. So after a kind of a hit and miss round of 16. So at this time, I do want to welcome my Royal Blue partners, uh, Braille Mbolo, jersey-wearing, uh, <laughs> Mox Meyer-hating, and Leon Goretzka-loathing friends from Gelsenkirchen. Guys, uh, Richard, Jack, how are you doing on this wonderful Saturday morning? Doing well. Doing very well. Yeah, three weeks in a row for me here. Uh, one more episode, and I was about to start calling this the Jack Mangan podcast. <laughs> <from Pretty Smiths>, so. <laughs> Yeah, I tell you, so we had a, a shocky takeover. I mean, if you, if you find a good thing and, and you roll the dice, you keep rolling. You don't walk away from the table. You just got to keep you got to keep going back to that sucker. So, no, I really appreciate you guys being here today. I know it's Saturday morning and uh, every all of us have got other things to do. But we we always we always love talking a little bit about football and a little bit about what's going on. And there's a lot going on. Uh, specifically as it pertains to this week and this weekend. So uh, we'll jump right in. But before, I do want to tell everyone, if you are a fan of the Bundesliga or if you're a fan of FC Schalke, you guys got to check out the FC Schalke podcast that these two gentlemen co-host. It's a fantastic show. Uh, Again, I've been a guest on it myself, had a lot of fun. And they really do go into depth on everything FC Schalke, including why Leon Goretzka hates the Gelsenkirchen area now and why Max Meyer is a spoiled piece of shit. But uh, <laughs> they, no, I'm just kidding. They also talk about uh, Sané and uh, some of the great signings uh, that they made this summer. I do promise you there's going to be some, some upside. But um, yeah, uh, and before I go off, I do want to talk with y'all really quickly about those signings because I want to know where things stand as far as you consider yourselves with your Champions League depth because you guys will be playing and representing the Bundesliga in the Champions League. So since I have both of you on, thought it would be a perfect way to close out but before we do that, I want to talk about the biggest news of the biggest news when it pertains to transfers this week. Guys, 
CR7, Cristiano Ronaldo, the short-lifting, thigh-taking, uh, free-kick taker, uh, has officially, uh, for the last time, he has not sulked and gotten his way with Real Madrid. He sulked this time, and in fact, Real Madrid uh, let him go. And he is now a member of the Bianconeri, the uh, white and blacks from Juventus Turin. And that has obviously sent uh, shockwaves all across the football world, especially in Serie A. Richard also hosts the Serie A sit-down podcast. And I know you went into depth about that on your podcast as well, Richard. That's why I was... Ah, it's like you got to talk about this again. Well, yeah, uh, we haven't spoken about it yet. Uh, Rich, uh, Jack and I did hit on it last week uh, in speculation of, but now that it's confirmed, guys, what in the hell does this mean for, first of all, for Real Madrid in the aftermath, and second of all, what does it mean for Juventus moving forward? First of all, uh, pour some liquor out for Gigi Buffon, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we joked about that last week, but that, that's uh, that's all. <laughs> Can't believe that's happening to him right as he leaves. Ronaldo comes to his team. Although I think I saw something that he was going to PSG now, going back for yes, one more try. Yes, he's confirmed. He's yes, confirmed he's to PSG. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Richard, jump in on this. Yeah. So this is a absolutely an inter- interesting signing. Um, it kind of happened out of the blue, and it and it it culminated within a week, basically. Um, usually things like this are hard to keep under wraps, and uh, credit you know Real Madrid and Juventus for doing that. Um, and they wrapped it up very quickly, so it wasn't a, a, a drawn-out saga. Ultimately, I think this is going to... I had this master plan for Serie A. Of course, I'm orchestrating it right now. It's uh, you know the masters that be, whoever's in charge of Serie A. They're trying to get Serie A back to where it was in the 90s, where it was a king of sports, a king of European football. Um, and really, I talked about this on the podcast, how... Kind of when Zidane left Juventus to go to Real Madrid, it's kind of when you saw the the tide go from Italy to Spain as far as being the king of Europe. Um, and I think that was Ronaldo going back, or Ronaldo going to Serie A. It's paving the way to see Serie A eventually, probably in the next five years, become the king of Europe. Based on the way of the the young players are in that league are are developing, the teams are getting stronger. Uh, we saw with European yeah, Europa League and Champions League last year, Italy was doing very well. They got you know Roma to the Champions League semifinals. Um, and, and, and for you know before Ronaldo came, I thought Internazionale, Roma, Napoli, they were all doing excellent jobs on the transfer market to try to catch up to Juventus. Mm-hmm. Juventus said, "Hold my beer," and they brought in Ronaldo. Um, without a doubt, I'm we we you know us this year at sit down we picked Juventus right now when Ronaldo joined. We're like, okay, they're gonna win the a set, or eighth title in a row. Um, and the question, I, I even say they're going to go to the Champions League final next year with, with, with this signing. Um, now, how this pans out, it depends really on how the other teams in the league respond to this. If Juventus win by 30, 40 points, it's going to be like, who cares? This is a pointless. It's going to be like PSG with uh, last year at Ligue 1 because they ran away with that title. Now, if the, the three teams I mentioned plus another dark horse can keep this interesting, make it a race, uh, that'll start bringing in other stars from the, around the around the world, uh, and and Syria is going to be coming back to back in the limelight, if you will. Um, it's a uh, it's I, I like the signing. It's it's good for Syria unless Juventus blow away with this title. And that's where I was going. Tell me, so as an Inter supporter, uh, I so I already have the nine Golan jersey on the way. Uh, nice. You're talking about those signings, and I love that signing. DeVry, uh, Lotaro, uh, the young kid from Argentina. Oh, he's good. He's good. And not to mention, uh, they, they still have some more targets that they're looking at. I think Inter Summer has been fantastic. But let me ask you, 
despite all that, despite the good news on that front, despite the fact that uh, Napoli now have Carlo Ancelotti, uh, how does how does this move? I, I, I'm having a hard time understanding how this benefits Serie A. I, and, and, and a lot of the Juventus supporters are even saying that. They said it, it benefits us. But really, like you said, if it becomes a league where, uh, you know, like, like PSG over the second place team, say 19, 20, 22 points, or as, as we saw for most of Bayern's uh, six-year reign of terror, when they've beaten every single team by double digits at least, the closest was Dortmund in 2015, 16, I believe we got to within 10 points of them, but that was still a double digit. That was, it was decided uh, three weeks before the season was over. Right. Uh, the Bundesliga is suffering because of Bayern's dominance. Uh, League 1 is uninteresting because of PSG. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's so if the one thing, I, I will stand by this, Serie A was the best league in the world last season because they had a title race, because the Champions League came down to the last match day. It was fantastic. It was beautiful drama. Inter, Lazio, Juventus, Napoli. It was fantastic. It was the most I've enjoyed watching Serie A since probably the heyday of uh, AC Milan and Inter back in the mid-2000s. So how does this benefit the league, Richard? All the attention is going to be now on Serie A to see what Ronaldo can do in Serie A. Is he going to get 50 goals in the league? Is he going to even get 20 goals? Um, So more people are going to start watching Serie A because of that. And also, as far as in the games, more people are going to start going to the games because they want to see Ronaldo. Uh, you're going to, especially when he goes to these smaller cities, um, Frosinone or even in Coppa Italia, if you play against like teams like Benevento or something or Palermo, um, team player, people are going to come out to see him alone. So sales are going to go up. That's going to boost them in money. Um, obviously, again, it was a, it was attraction. And as long as the league is competitive, it's going to be better. Uh, really, really great for Serie A because other players are going to take note. They want to be like, okay, well, this is actually a good league. That's competitive. I want to go there. Um, Serie A are going to be able to keep their stars. That's that's going to be important right there because for the last five years, five ten years, when when their players get really big, they just go to they go to England or they go to Spain or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be able to hold on to their players more. So, uh, it, like I said, it really depends on how the season shapes out. Um, at, the, at the onset, I think it's great. But again, like you said, if if like PSG or, or Bayern, if they blow away with this title, it people are going to turn off. Inter, Roma, Napoli, maybe Atalanta, maybe Milan. If they can make, keep this interesting, then the league will benefit even more from from the signing. Oh wow! I love how you you threw Atalanta in there. My God! They <laughs> wow. be careful. They're a scary good team. I, I well, I, I, Dortmund played them in the Europa League and uh, took uh, a, a, a last second Marcel Schmelzer goal of all people. Marcel Schmelzer. <laughs> uh, my God, that guy. Uh, to knock them out. I know they're a good team. I, I, I truly do. But uh, Jack, so question for you. This is, this is, where, this is where I want to see uh, the, the, the casual Serie A observer. Because Jack, I know your interests lie elsewhere. You, 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 I mean, you're, you're, you're Schalke first and foremost. And you, I know you follow the standings of Serie A, but that's more Richard's thing. Does this make you the casual Serie A observer, the guy who checks the standings every now and again? Does this make, does this make Juventus must-see TV for you? It does. Um, I understand why there would be the opinion that this move could potentially be a bad thing for Serie A in terms of the competitiveness. But I guess the way I'm looking at this is Juventus is already on quite a title winning streak anyway. So nothing is going to get worse if Ronaldo comes and, and Juventus you know, goes to another level. Like That's just kind of the status quo, right? All it's going to do 
is make Serie A more attractive television because you have arguably the greatest player in the world playing games in that league. So for me, this isn't really a negative for Serie A. I mean, I think you can make that argument if there was a title race currently mm-hmm. and you know, we thought this was going to shift the balance of power and it was going to become some sort of, you know, who they running away with it every year. But because that's already the case, I don't I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, you know, Richard and I watch plenty of Bundesliga and that's not really a title race recently either. Um, You know, and and these leagues are competitive enough, uh, you know, two through seven, two through eight, where I think they they warrant viewership uh, regardless, uh, even if there is sort of a, a foregone conclusion at the very top of it. So are we, oh, and the other thing that someone should, that, that we should note is, and, and, you know, this, this, this comes, this, this for both of you is the fact that Richard, you, you, you mentioned when Zidane left uh, Juve for Real and, and that was great, but I, I believe that was before Zidane turned 30. I, I think he was, I think he was in his late twenties at that point or am I right? Yeah, something like, yeah, I think okay. late twenties. Okay. Ronaldo's 33 going on 34. Is this, are we overhyping this just a little bit for a 33-year-old striker slash winger slash center forward slash whatever? He can play pretty much anything out up front. But uh, a lot of people are bringing into the account that he, at some point in father time, will catch up to him. It's, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So is, did he perhaps see the right, does he know his body better than anyone else? And maybe he's saying, look, I don't know how much longer that I'm going to be able to play at this elite level. Uh, maybe Real Madrid. Maybe it's time to make the move because I do believe there's a there there is a there's something in, inside of his head that that he wants to be better than Messi. He wants to go down not only as the greatest player of this generation, but the greatest player to ever lace lace a pair of boots. So if he goes and he wins at Manchester United, and he wins at Sporting Lisbon, and he wins at Real Madrid, and then to finish out his career, he wins at Juventus. I I can't. I don't think there's much of an argument at that point that if you win in four of the top six leagues in Europe, you've won a title. Especially if he wins a Champions League at Juventus, I, I think the Messi debate is deader than dead at that point. Do you think that this is like 33? He thinks this is his last chance to sort of take the lead in that race. No, I think more that he was. He grew tired of Real Madrid. He he's always playing his antics every summer, and then finally he's like, you know what? I want to go and, and Real Madrid. Okay, we're good with that. Um, I, he I compare him often to Tom Brady. I know people they hate on Tom Brady, but Tom Brady keeps himself in immense fitness shape, mm-hmm. and as does Ronaldo. Ronaldo even more so. Um, Ronaldo knows his body more than anybody else, and he he probably feels that he's still the best player in the world at at this present stage, and so he's gonna go and. Prove the haters wrong because there's plenty of haters of him. I mean, for everybody who loves you know him and Messi, there's also the haters that equally hate them. So I think he's gonna go there to try to prove a point. And you know he he sees Italy as his unproven ground that he hasn't been there yet, and he wants to conquer because he sees he feels he's conquered Portugal and England and Spain, like you said. Uh, just another stepping stone for him. And if if he does win that Champions League with Juventus, it's gonna put him in an immortal state because how many people can say they won four consecutive Champions League titles or Europe, European European cha- titles? You know so. Um, he's he's gonna be walking on rarefied air for sure, uh, but I think his fitness he's no by no no stretch uh, done. I can see at, at least five more years. I can see him playing until his forties um, at, at the shape he keeps himself in, because uh, he's just he is just a specimen of training. Now Messi is a different in a different sense. He's just more like 
a God-given talent. He doesn't. It's, it's training. Uh, training regimen isn't as noted as as Ronaldo. Ronaldo just a machine, and that's why he is such great shape at 33 years old. He's probably faster than most 20 year olds. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that'll be to his advantage, and I think he he knows that, and that's why he wants to keep playing. So, Jack, the uh, total the total money that we're talking about here is well over the uh, 300 million dollar sum, and we're talking about over 100 million for the transfer fee. We're talking about 30 million dollars per year annual salary that's after taxes we're talking about an immense amount of money and juventus 12 years ago was in Serie b and now they're in Serie a they've won seven consecutive titles they won four consecutive doubles they've been to two champions league finals where they failed miserably uh, especially the the latter of the two against real madrid uh this is is this if you're if you're looking at this, Jack, from a financial standpoint, is is this really boom or bust? Is this one of those high risk, high reward? Because if it doesn't pan out to win the Champions League, I've already heard Juve fans everywhere saying if they don't win a Champions League, this move will be a monumental bust. Uh, they, they've won the title, as you said, seven in a row. What's winning another Serie A title at this point? It's only newsworthy if Inter wins it, or if AC Milan wins it, or if Napoli wins it. It's not newsworthy anymore if Juve wins it. So it's all or nothing for the Champions League. And I'm sorry, I, I, and you can, you can correct me if you feel differently, I am not crowning them Champions League finalists yet. I'm just not going to do it. I, I think there's a lot of great teams in Europe, and there's a lot of walls that you have to tear down to get there. And I don't think just the addition of Ronaldo makes them Champions League finalists. In addition, I think in order to clear up some of the money, they're going to have to sell some people because... Yes, Buffon left, and that's some, uh, that's, that's some wages that freed up. And I know that Liechtensteiner left, and that's some wages that freed up. But you still have Higuain, who you paid 90, 90-something million for two years ago. Um, you've got Dybala. You've got Mandzukic. It's very crowded up there. So if, 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 you're, if you're looking at these numbers, I know some of it's even being financed, I believe, by Fiat. So Ferrari. It was a Ferrari? Okay. So yeah, He's a poster boy now for Ferrari. Wow. Okay. That's. Uh, do you do know? So the deal is, uh, the the group that owns Juventus, they own Fiat and and as well as Ferrari. So okay. they got to get away from this financial fair play. They got Ferrari to pay his his annual salary. Gotcha. Uh, and and because of that, he's going to be their global ambassador. This is a money making scheme. This is all about like how Man United when they when they they signed Pogba. It's all about the marketing with them. That's what they really care about. They're going to get yep. so much money because of Ronaldo. Uh, he's going to be the poster boy for Juventus, for Fiat, for especially Ferrari, um, and and more endorsements going to come from that, and they're going to going to reap the benefits Juventus are. So, so Jack, who, are, are you are you are you are you keen to sell Higuain uh, Higu at this point? Is there somebody else you would get rid of? How, uh, or or do you say screw it, we're going to go with this team into the finals? Uh, well, not the finals, but into the season. Sorry, and uh, if someone complains, then they complain. Uh, it's to me. There, there, it's 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 very crowded up front for uh, the Bianconieri right now. I do think there's somebody that Juventus needs to unload, uh, and that would be uh, Marco Piazza to Schalke, and make that loan <laughs> permanent. I no knew worries. there had to, there had yeah, to be no, some no, no hidden agenda. <laughs> no, it's it's an interesting question. Uh, oh, you said we... wait a minute, Dybala to Dortmund, right? That's what you said. No, that's not what I said. Okay, well that's fine. Vasquez um, too cheap anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um. <laughs> It will be interesting to see if Ronaldo is uh, more keen to play with Dybala than Messi was in the World Cup. Uh, and if those two can share the field together, hopefully they can, because I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, with this kid, 
on the rise and maybe becoming, you know, one of the next big talents as, as Messi and Ronaldo sort of slowly fade from the stage. Um, you know, I think you guys both bring up a lot of good points, though. Uh, you know, is is the the addition of a 33 year old Cristiano Ronaldo really the last you know piece to the puzzle? Is this going to put Juve over the hump or not? Um, I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that he is like anybody else at 30 because of you know the ridiculous lengths this guy goes to to keep himself in shape and you know put the right things in his body. Um, very much like me, uh, it takes after <laughs> me like that. Uh, <laughs> um, <sighs> Yeah, they might they might have to sell somebody. I think the Iguain Ronaldo uh, reunion is is interesting. Um, you know, back from the earlier Madrid days, uh, it'll be see. They they can't get all these people on the pitch at the same time. That's the bottom line. If you look at the if you look at the example so, of how to take care of your body and how not to take care of your body, you have Iguain and Ronaldo, and that's the poster child for the one guy who's yep. drinking far too many Belgian triples and hamburgers, and the other guy. Who probably I don't know if, if if Ronaldo's ever had a carb in his life. So um, you know I'm more of a Wayne Rooney body personally. That's still better than Higuain. Trust me, <laughs> trust me. And you know my thoughts on Higuain. So let's not go there. But I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interject. But I, I just uh, oh, yeah, I can't see that partnership. I cannot. That's the one partnership I can't see. I believe Higuain has to be sold. But 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 go ahead. No, because the last thing I'll say is that. I mean, it's a lot of money, obviously. This is, mm-hmm. I mean, you can talk about the influence of, of money in football and how it continues to creep and just take over the game to a larger extent, seemingly every transfer window. Uh, but, I mean, the amount of merch this guy's going to sell and, you know, increased, as, as Richard said, endorsements and, you know, ticket sales and all of this. I think it's website shut down yes. when Aldo signed. Yes, it did. Yeah. Yes, it did. I'm, I'm sure they're going to recoup a decent portion of that, and it's going to be it's going to be worth it. And uh, if they bring home a Champions League, uh, can you really put a price on that? That's the question. They said, I believe, uh, from another from a, another Serie A podcast, someone said that the Real Madrid's transfer fee when they bought him from United, they said that they could have paid for the transfer fees in jersey sales alone. So. Mm-hmm. I agree with the transfer fee. Probably is already paid for because it, over the life over the lifetime of the, of him playing there, which it's a four year contract. Speculation is he'll probably play three. I don't know why people are shell, selling him short of playing that fourth year. I, they're talking about him going to MLS. I'm, I I think that's so below. No offense to MLS, but that's so below Cristiano Ronaldo to go play in the United States. Uh, I think at 37, he'll still be better than most 29 and 30 year olds, as you said, for the reasons yeah. we talked about, because he literally has zero toxins in his body and zero percent body fat. So um, I think he, I think he'll play unless he just. We, we've said this. He likes the spotlight on himself, and if he gets moody and he gets in one of his state of minds where he's he's unhappy and. You know, Gareth Bale scores a brace in a Champions League final, and he gets more accolades than Ronaldo did, who didn't score any goals in that game. But hey, you won a third consecutive Champions League. He can't just soak in the moment. He has to say, "Well, I didn't do that," or, or, or you know, it's it's why does Gareth Bale get the glory? All he did was score yeah. two goals. Yeah, damn that guy. Screw him. And of course, he had one of the most beautiful goals in recent. Well, I, I was trying to I'm trying to go back. I guess Mandzukic had a really cool goal in, in, in the year, yes, the year before. Yep. So in. in in the last five years, Bale's goal is one of the coolest ones we've seen in a Champions League match, especially knockout stage uh, match. So, um, I, I I think it's an excellent deal 
for Juventus. I really believe that they hit a home run ball here. Uh, I hate that they did. I, I know you as well, Jack. You and I both, I mean, excuse me, Richard, you and I both support their two arch rivals in yep. Milan and Inter. So it's, it, it looks, it doesn't look too good for us. But hey, we finally got an owner. I'm just happy now. <laughs> hey, that's right. From the smoke, he, he arises from the smoke. Uh, the mysterious owner who owns AC Milan. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, to talk about your, you know, about, the, about the the transfer or who should be go from Juventus. Mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I think Iguain should go because uh, I think Ronaldo ultimately will be an out and out striker, just the way he, yeah. he loves to score goals. So I can see him playing that role for Juventus. I hope they keep Dybala because, like Jack said, Dybala and and Dybala could do some magic assist wise with Ronaldo. He could probably get 20 assists this year uh, if they if they can really click. Uh, really, the only other person I'd see could leave the team is Kadir, just because he's he's kind of slowed down too much for them, and and they've really they've really got a lot of uh, uh, depth now in in the midfield with the guys they brought in this summer, um, and then maybe Alexandro. But other than that, I mean, the attack I think Mandzukic is safe because I call him a, ut- a utility attacker because uh, Max Allegri trusts him so much because he can play so many different positions, he can backtrack like nobody else. Uh, he trusts him so much. He's like, I can, I, I'm gonna keep you because if I need goals, I'll put you on there. If I need someone to, on the left wing to backtrack, I'll put you out there. Uh, he's just so versatile, and I think he's got, he's safe. He's may not get the pitch time, but he'll be safe. I, I think. I think they have to keep Alexandro because that really less that really gives them not a lot of options at left back. So I think well, they got, got Spinadola now. Well, they they did they signed him, but I I, I Alexandro is more to me of a proven of a proven commodity just from. Just from stuff that I've I hear from the Juventus guys, that's Sandro's one of the guys that they're like, hey, let's let's cool it on 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 the talk of selling him. They I, I as as a whole, from what I understand, they would prefer to keep him rather than see him go. Yeah, but the Juventus fans, what do they know? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, so kind of wrapping this up about Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, guys, in in the end scheme of things. How many Champions Leagues? Because remember, Juventus hasn't won a Champions League since 1996. They played. I got. I always love bringing this up. It's such a great memory. 1997, they played Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League final and lost. And of course, they've been to numerous finals since then, but they haven't won it since '96. So, how many Champions Leagues do the Bianconieri win with with Cristiano Ronaldo? Not one. Mm-hmm. Not two. Not three. Okay, LeBron. Not four. <laughs> <laughs> nice LeBron reference there. I like that. I think maybe one. Maybe one. Okay. Uh, Jack, what's your thoughts? Literally, what's your thoughts on this? Not not the uh, the, the, the cheap LeBron plug. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think he'll get one. I, I think we'll push him over the hump. I'd be skeptical about him getting any more than that, though. As you said, there's a lot of teams... Uh, that are going to be good. Obviously, you have the typical heavy hitters, you know, Bayern, Real Madrid, and Barca and others, but you also have clubs like Man City that are still on the rise trying to get over that hump and get to the next level as well. And Liverpool. Uh, Schalke, Liverpool. <laughs> FC Schalke back in the Champions League. Take yeah. no prisoners. Watch out for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I think teams like Man City are probably only going to get better, um, you know, as Pep's tenure continues there. So there's... Uh, yeah, saying that just because he's he's moving there, he's suddenly going to start winning the same number of titles that he was winning with Real Madrid. It's you know it's an entirely different situation, entirely different squad. 
it's it's really difficult for me to. It's it's like saying when Pep Guardiola was at Barcelona, saying, "Oh, wherever he goes now, he's going to Champions League," and he hasn't won yeah. a Champions League since. It doesn't work that way. Exactly, yeah, I agree. It's got to be perfect chemistry, and the stars have to line, you know, with the team. So, Richard, I really I just thought of this. This is honestly uh, the, the guy who I think is under the most pressure, especially to win a Champions League, is uh, Allegri because Allegri has to deal with this now. This is like tactically. How do they line up? Do they line up as a 3-5-2 or they go back to a 4-2-3-1? Uh, there's a lot of different options and versatility Ronaldo gives you. But it, it, he, he is criticized by Juventus fans, supporters, if you will, for his tactics in these big games when it comes to Champions League. Because we just talked about how they haven't won it since 1996. And some of his tactics have been uh, huge, huge missed opportunities, especially when it came to uh, advancing in the knockout stages. I think that there's an immense amount of pressure on the manager because with this addition to the squad, basically you're saying, hey, you should have it wrapped up now. You should honestly be able to maybe not even tactically get it all down to, to the wire and still be able to win because we just gave you the arguably best player in the world. So how much pressure do you think is on Allegri? I just thought of that because he he's taken some some criticism before this Ronaldo deal for, for not being able to close out the big game. Does this make the pressure on him even that much more uh, tight? It's certainly immense on him. It's kind of like uh, the pressure Roberto Martinez faces with Belgium. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they overthink it in the big moments, and that's what costs them the game. And it, it does. It had in the two Champions League uh, finals. And But Max Allegri is a masterful tactician. And now with Ronaldo, I mean, even before Ronaldo, but even more so now, they're so versatile. They can, they're going to go with that 4-2-3-1 probably. Um, but they're going to be able to switch it so much in game, it's going to be ridiculous. Like They'll be able to adapt on the fly. And Allegri is that good. Where he can change the formation during the game uh, to, like, say if they're playing Napoli, Napoli's dominating. They can change it like like that and 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 change the, the tactics so that they're they get the front foot. Um, it's gonna help them a lot for sure. I think they're more flexible now. But the pressure, like you said, is gonna be ridiculous on Allegri. Is he gonna attain his career in Italy? No, because what he's done is is um, is outstanding. Two 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 Champions League finals in three years or whatever it was. Um, and then how many doubles in a row now? It's four doubles in a row. Seven seven titles in a row. Well, four for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe five this year. Uh, so he, he's going to have his... What he's going to have to do is he'll have to probably bow out. You know, if he, especially if he doesn't get... Not this year or next year. He'll probably just have to... If he stays that long. I think he was on the verge of stepping out. And they got Ronaldo. And he was like, oh, I'll stick around a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, he... It's it's pressure is so immense. And he'll probably just end up resigning if he, if he doesn't get it, yeah. you know, the next couple of years. Uh, so it is being said that Chelsea are interested in Gonzalo Higuain. So that's uh, something. I have heard that. Yes. Yeah, something to keep an eye on. Uh, I know with uh, Conte uh, now officially gone, a Higuain to Chelsea move could be in the works. So we'll keep our eye out on that. Uh, guys, shifting our focus now to the to to the to the main event for this week, uh, July fifteenth, Sunday in Russia. It's the World Cup final. It's a final that half of us, well, we, well, all of us got half of it right. And uh, the other one, very unexpected. Although I said, Richard, I know you said the same thing. Keep your eye on Croatia. But I don't think we thought they'd make it this far. Uh, I underestimated them for sure. Let's talk about, let's talk about real quick, France, how they got here, guys. Five wins, one draw, no losses. They humbled Argentina. And for 25 minutes, they absolutely dominated Argentina, beat the crap out of them. 
sent them home packing back to Buenos Aires. Uh, second, this is uh, the second final for them since 2006. Uh, this is probably the most talented squad they've had since 1998. Where, where does where, what 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 are what are some of the weaknesses, Jack? You see in France and some of the strengths. Uh, to me, I'd like to see them play like they played against Argentina for more than just a 25 minute stretch, and that's where I think they're vulnerable. Is because they let their foot off the gas. I think sometimes, and that's that's where they, that's where you can you, you have an opportunity to strike. But overall. On paper, I think that they were the most talented team in this entire tournament, even more so than Germany, more so than Brazil. They did not always show that, though. So let's talk about how France got here, Jack, and uh, what are your expectations for them in this match tomorrow? Yeah, going into the tournament, France is absolutely one of the deepest teams, one of the scariest rosters, just on paper at least, Uh, and we had high expectations uh, for them. I know a lot of us picked France to make it to this final. we talked about a couple podcasts ago how I was somewhat unconvinced by them in the group stage just with their results. They seemed like they were to some extent kind of sleepwalking through it, just kind of grinding out the results that they, they needed, not really, you know, turning on the style, not doing anything to blow anybody away. Um, and I was concerned about whether or not they were going to be able to kind of kick it into gear, you know, at the flip of a switch once they got to the knockout stage. But uh, I mean, they seem to do that. That Argentina performance, uh, despite conceding three goals, once again, I think a couple of those were slightly fluky but uh that was the offensive performance we had been waiting to see they certainly have the talent kind of performance uh and we kind of finally saw what, what what france was capable of in that extent and then you know they go up against a really strong uh really solid well-organized uruguay side and that was not much of a contest for me honestly it was pretty pretty comprehensive you know two nil didn't uh, face a lot of issues at the back obviously cavani not able to play in that one and suarez was kind of on an island uh, in, in that game, but, uh, you know, got the goals they needed and, and France has just been great defensively the rest, I mean, the rest of this tournament. Um, the one thing I will say about, you know, looking at that Argentina game and then saying France really hasn't replicated that even in this Belgium game, France looked really dangerous, particularly in the first half. Uh, they just unfortunately had Olivier Giroud as the person trying to finish everything in the box. And he <laughs> had some issues with that. But, I mean, they had a number of chances that, you know, just missed, you know, timely block to the last second from Belgian or, you know, a goalkeeper save or, you know, just missing that final ball. But they, they looked dangerous in that game as well. And ultimately, when they did go up, you know, they kind of dropped back and sat in the shell and just tried to, kind of, you know, close the game out. And I don't think they were really going for it as much as they were earlier. But um, they look complete to me. Uh, that that one nil result isn't worrying me for you know what they're going to look like you know offensively or anything in this in this match against Croatia. I think um, France has turned it on when they've needed to, and they look like the most convincing team in the tournament right now. So Richard, I have my answer on this, uh, and and Jack, I want your answer after I ask Richard. But I I really want to know, and this I'm not going with the popular thought. This is uh this this is something that I've I've thought hard and long about, but um. Who has been the breakout star for you for this France national team in this tournament? For the French national team, yeah, Ooh, that's a tough, that's a tough one. Yeah, um, I, I think Kylian Mbappe announced himself to the world for people who didn't know who he was. I mean, people who already followed him, they knew who he was, but I, his performances in this tournament had just been outstanding. 
Um, but him aside, mm-hmm. um, ooh, it's tough. I mean, Pavard and, and that's Hernandez that's the, the guy. Morning. That's the guy I was thinking about was Pavard. yeah. How many people yeah. knew about those two guys? Yeah. And then so they kind of announced themselves to the world that okay, look, we can compete with the big boys on the French team. Uh, so much so that they got they got guaranteed spots on the on the right and left wing, uh, left back wing. So uh, those two, I think, have to be the ones. Everybody else is pretty much a household name with them, you know. Yeah, Jackie, you've been surprised by, and that's what I was saying. The two, the three of us have known about Mbappe for for quite some time now. I mean, the, the his Champions League with Monaco uh, just la- the year before last was uh, kind of that's how he announced himself to me at least. Uh, it wasn't uh, some secret that he was FIFA a good- fifteen for me. <laughs> FIFA fifteen. <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, I immediately signed him last year. I'm like, oh god, this guy's got 98 speed. Oh my god, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta sign him and, and develop him. But he, it's, it's, it's been Pavard. I, I think Pavard, especially yeah. with that stunning goal that he, that he uh, uh, put in the back of the net against Argentina. But he's just played so solidly. And by the way, now all of a sudden Bayern Munich's knocking on Stuttgart's door. Wouldn't, wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't, wouldn't you know that they would uh, uh, come calling? So, wh- what's your thoughts on that, Jack? Have you, uh, have you been as impressed by young Pavard as? Uh, Richard and I have been. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think there's two answers to this question. I think there's an answer for uh, the sort of the casual football fan, and then I think there's an answer for football fans like us that follow the game a little bit more closely. I think for people like us, the answer is Pavard, because mm-hmm. that's probably somebody that we were aware of but really hadn't taken as close of a look at and maybe didn't expect to get um, this kind of playing time or perform this well on this big of a stage. So he's been very impressive. Um, naturally, you know, he scores one goal and now Bayern Munich's all over him. We'll just take him too, because no one else needs players. Um, love that. Uh, but <laughs> I think the answer for maybe the more cat, and this is going to sound so stupid. Once again, I'm saying for the casual football fan, it might be like Conte or something. Because this is somebody that I think yeah, the rest yeah, of us yeah, know quite true. well and under, understand how important he's been. Uh, to every squad he's been on over the last few years. And, you know, his journey, first of all, to get to this place is just an incredible story. It's an excellent point. um, Because he's also not an attacking player, and a lot of the things he's doing are sort of, you know, the grinding work that isn't as flashy and maybe doesn't get all the credit and stuff and isn't, you know, on the end of goals. I think he's probably been overlooked by a lot of people. But, I mean, once again, you can make an argument he's been player of the tournament, in my opinion. And hopefully, I think maybe some casual football fans are getting exposed to that and, and appreciating that. It's these guys that don't always get the glory and, and, and do the dirty work behind the scenes. The, the Dennis Rodmans, uh, 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 if you will, who, who grind yeah. and hustle and work. And they, they mean as much to the team as, as uh, Antoine Griezmann or a, a, you know, a Paul Pogba sometimes. So it, you can't, it's not all about flashy stats and numbers. It's about the behind-the-scenes work. And I agree. That's an excellent point, Jack. I mean, Ingola Conte has been fantastic since since Leicester, then obviously to Chelsea, and now with the French national team. So moving on to Croatia, uh, which is, I, I have to root for them simply because there's so many inter players that play for Croatia. I mean, it's like uh, we've got Ivan. You Pace. had to pull that card, didn't you? Yes, I did. Because <laughs> your boy got sent home. That's right. Let's talk about the biggest, the biggest player to ever get sent home in World Cup history. No, I'm just kidding. But our boy Kalinic got sent home as a result of pouting his lips and not wanting... I love, I love his coach more now because of that. Hell yeah. Um, so AC Milan's pride and joy gets sent... <laughs> AC Milan's pride and joy gets sent home. And meanwhile, Marcelo Brozovic and Ivan Perisic are just having a grand old time uh, at, with as, as members of the Nerazzurri. So 
let's let's talk about how Croatia got here, guys. Now they've won six, they've lost zero, and they've drawn zero. They they're a perfect six and zero, oh, but they've played an entire a whole nother full length match over France because they've gone the full one hundred and twenty for three consecutive games. They've gone to penalties in two of those. So. I know it's been a couple of days since they played. Does that have any? Are we over? Are we over hyping the, the the tired leg syndrome, or is this like are these players at this point? They're professionals. They take really good care of themselves. They know this is the World Cup final. Adrenaline will get you through it. Is is that really going to factor into to this final that they played um, the one twenty for three consecutive games? I don't think it will initially, but I think maybe once you hit the 70th minute or so, you might start seeing it. I mean, once the whistle blows, the, you know, sort of the grandeur of the occasion is definitely going to get the adrenaline pumping. And I think Croatia will look fine. But, uh, yeah, this is three consecutive extra time uh, matches, two of which went to penalties. I mean, they're playing a ton of minutes, um, high pressure, emotionally taxing minutes. Uh, France is like, once again, kind of been on cruise control for the most part. They're deeper, arguably better, fresher. I think they have a lot going for them in this, and uh, it's it's a big ask for Croatia. I wouldn't I wouldn't discount you know the tougher road that they've had to get here. It's uh, and that's an excellent point too because uh, you know yeah Croatia's played more, but that's this is the same narrative we heard against before the England match. Oh, Croatia's played so many more games, you're gonna be more tired. And Croatia used that as bulletin board material. Yeah, they had adrenaline going with them, but they also used that as as like you know what? Okay, you think we're retired? We'll show you who tired is. You know what they did to counteract that? They kept possession. When you keep possession, you don't tire yourself out as much as when you're chasing the ball. Mm-hmm. So England ended up getting more tired in that game because they were chasing Croatia, who were keeping possession, and uh, saving energy. And that's you know I feel they're going to do the same thing too. They're probably going to load the box, um, you know, with with Luka Modric, uh, Ivan Rakitic, Ivan Perisic, Marcelo uh, Brozovic, and Ante Rebic. Um, they're going to try to keep possession and not get tired that way. Because like Jack said, uh, once the 70th minute hits, if they're the ones chasing, they're going to be done. So they're, it's, the tactics are going to be very interesting in this. So as we said about uh, France, uh, everyone knows Rakitic from Barcelona. Everyone knows Modric from Real Madrid. I Every- mean Rakitic from FC Schalke. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, man. Yes. I need to start there. Did you forget who you invited on this podcast? I, what did, yes, what did yes. you think this was going to be, Critty? Yes, I forgot because I've plugged Inter uh, a couple of times here. So <laughs> I, 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 I'm getting it back in return. I should, I should have expected that. You know, uh, no Dortmund players there on the uh, Croatian national team, unfortunately. I can't, I can't uh, uh, claim anything like that. But who has been the breakout star for you guys on this Croatian national team? For me, it's Ante Rebic, clearly. Yeah, I, I, once again, I'm going to do two different... I'm going to give him like my personal one and then the one I think that is for everybody else. I think it's Ante Rebic for okay. a lot of people. Uh, as people that follow the Bundesliga, the three of us, I think, are quite familiar with Ante Rebic and have been very excited by the performances that he's been putting in. I think he certainly announced himself uh, very well. He's been he's been all over the place yeah. in, in a lot of these games. Uh, for me, uh, I had not seen a lot of Vita Mm-hmm. previously yes mm-hmm. um because i do not watch a lot of the turkish league a lot of i don't watch any of <laughs> unless they're i catch unless... maybe like, like two matches a year yeah when basic tosses in the so, champions league yeah. <laughs> yeah so i mean like yeah, yeah, it, yeah basically uh so vita is not somebody I'm, I'm particularly familiar with and uh, it's always interesting when you just get a random defender who's playing in fairness for a pretty big club 
They are they are big. All all due respect to, to the Turkish. Yeah, yes, exactly. yes. Beshkosh is a major player. It's yeah. not a league for the form of reason we we tend to tune into. So uh, he's been really interesting to watch for me. And I would also give a shout out to uh, Versalco, who is another guy I hadn't you know watched that closely, who's been very impressive. I think the rest of the guys, you know, Perisic, et cetera, are all players that uh, most people should be. I'm glad you mentioned him because Inter is looking at signing him as we speak. So that's uh, Versalco. Yes. Uh, they're gonna be in because Napoli's trying to get him too, so that'll be interesting. It's 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 a it's a it's more than a one horse race on this. It's it's uh, Inter Napoli. I think there's actually another club uh, involved in it, but yeah, he's uh he's he's in uh he's into I guess he's got the interest of of, of quite a few of uh, major players, especially Italian teams. Richard, who's been your breakout guy for uh, Croatia? It's hard because, I mean, obviously, like like you said, for for people who don't know Bundesliga or follow Eintracht Frankfurt, Eintracht Frankfurt Ante Rebic has been fantastic. People are like, who the heck is this guy? We know about him. He's been great all season mm-hmm. uh, for for Eintracht. But um, Ivan Perisic, I mean, I've watched him for how long? I know how amazing this guy has been, and he's stepped it up even more. Um, Mandzukic as well has played well. The the two world class mid- midfielders and and Rakitic and 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 Modric and obviously uh, Marcelo Brozovic. Uh, all playing fantastic up front. For me, it's the back. Well, three of well, I'll only say three. I'll say the Vida, who I'm sorry, Lovren, who thinks he's the you know best defender in the world. He's not even the best defender on his team. Vida, <laughs> Vida's been playing like Nesta all in old days. He's been making beautiful tackles, perfect time. I mean, hardly anyone's gotten past him. He's just been playing lights out, just like Jackson. I, I mean, I'm total agreement with that. And Versalco, absolutely. Um, he's gonna, I mean, Atleti fans and La Liga fans know him, but outside of that, how many people know who he was? Sternich, we're familiar with that with Syria, you and I, Critty. Um, he's going to AC Milan, so I'm happy about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but another name that people don't, probably don't even know is Subasic. I mean, we know Subasic, but he's been a breakout star. I mean, the game he had against Denmark, the saves to match what Kasper Schmeichel was doing was yeah. outstanding. Yeah. And if they go to if they go to penalty kicks, you have to give the advantage to to Croatia because Subasic, he's just stopping everything at this moment. So it's it's hard to pick one guy, but I'm gonna gonna go with what Jack said and say you know Vida Vida and Versalco. But I mean I really like the whole team. The whole team has just been a breakout just because I feel bad that I underestimated them so much going into the tournament. Once I once I made my picks and then I looked at the roster, I'm like, what did I just do? This team is loaded. I'm like, how did I not see this before? That, I guess what happens when you make blind picks, but. Um, yeah, this this the whole team is just it's a joy. They're warriors. They don't they don't quit. That's Absolutely. what makes them difficult. Talking about now the match itself, I, I do believe that the path here. I think France has had the tougher path. They've beaten Argentina, who were who were uh, you know no matter what because of their name, they're going to be favorites to, to to be in the final. They beat Uruguay and they beat Belgium, who I actually thought had a pretty good shot of winning this whole thing. That's uh, quite the path to the World Cup final. They did not go into extra time with any of them. Croatia, on the other hand, has beaten Russia, who, if you look at the FIFA rate ranking, are not very good. I know they're the hosts. I know they had the adrenaline and the, 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 the fans behind them. And I know it's the hosts sometimes are a tough out. But at the end of the day, if you look at it based on purely talent and who's on the pitch, Croatia should have, should have won that game, uh, uh, I won't say easily, but they, should, they shouldn't have had to go to penalties. They did the same thing with Denmark, and of course they went the 120 with England. Uh, they, of those three teams, uh, England was the best of the three that they beat, and I think it's going to be very interesting. Two two contrasting styles of play, gentlemen. You, Croatia, as you said, Richard, you alluded to the fact that they can they can dominate possession 
and they're going to look to build from the back and break you down, whereas France can absorb the pressure and quickly hit you on the counter with Mbappe or Griezmann. And before you know it, you're either having to foul them and give up a penalty or a free kick on the outside of the box, or it's a one-on-one with the keeper, which in that case, if it's Mbappe or Griezmann, has a very good shot of going in. How do you see this match playing out? Who are you asking me? I'm asking whoever wants to answer. Well, uh, uh, I'll answer. That's fine. Okay. Uh, and, and then well, I want both of your opinions for crying yeah, out loud. Yeah. In fairness to England, I think actually Denmark was the hardest team they played. Uh, hey, come Denmark on now. Is, no, I'm serious. Denmark is an underrated team. They are a fantastic team from back to No one's better than Harry Kane. Stop. <laughs> and Nicholas Bender is. He'll take. He'll take all your goals. He'll take all your goals. <laughs> as far as the, how the match is going to go, um, it's going to be France going to try to assert their dominance in the beginning. I think they're going to get a goal early, quick. Uh, but I, like I said before, I think Croatia are going to try to 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 suffocate that midfield with with all those players that I ta- that I mentioned before uh, to try to to counteract it. Because if you look at how many world class players are on the pitch. France have an absorbent amount, a ridiculous amount, and Croatia have two. That's their two midfielders. And then those two midfielders are going to run ragged if they, if they try to just keep those two in the middle. So they need the help of Rebic, Perisic, uh, Brozovic, uh, maybe even uh, Manzouk is tracking back to help out. But I think they're going to stifle France for the most part and keep them from making this a blowout. And I think Croatia is going to, the Warriors that they are, they're going to find a way to scrape and get a goal. Um, and it'll probably be a tight affair looking like some extra time. And I feel like France, they're gonna have they have the X factors on their team. It'll be something like Mbappe or or Griezmann or someone is gonna do something spectacular at the end that, that gets them a goal and they're gonna win like two one. That's my prediction. Okay, Jack. Considering what I what I just kind of laid out for you a minute ago, is that is that something Croatia needs to be looking out for? The fact that you know you can control possession, but it only takes one turnover, one bad pass, one interception. Yeah. And then France can they they have such speed on the counter attack and such. Uh, just ability to 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 catch you off guard is that is that something that really should be on Croatia's mind as 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 we approach uh, kickoff tomorrow? Okay, so if fatigue ends up being an issue, and I think it might be, mm-hmm. and I'm I don't want to oversell that, and we'll have to wait and see where it goes. But if Croatia does have issues with legs, I think I agree with Richard in that playing a possession game for them makes a lot of sense from the standpoint of conserving energy. So they're not playing the entire game, you know, chasing after balls and everything. But I think that's also probably how France wants them to play. Because we've seen in this tournament that France is perfectly fine on a number of different occasions, sitting back and absorbing pressure and then unleashing with Mbappe and company. Mm -hmm. And they've looked very convincing playing exactly that kind of game. Um, So, I think in some ways Croatia might actually be better doing that, sitting back and then just trying to play like a straight line counter game, um, you know, with Rebic and company and, and seeing if they can hit France. But I think France is probably going to be looking to do the same thing. So it'll be interesting to see who actually goes out and tries to take the initiative in this match or if, you know, the emotion of the occasion just leads to this thing being wide open from the very beginning with both teams going at it. But um, I, I think ideally both teams kind of want to play the same way so it'll, it'll be interesting to see who, who ends up kind of saying all right fine we'll have we'll have the ball on this one and you know we'll, we'll play it that way jack do you see is there an advantage if it does go past the 90 minutes that croatia has just because they've been there now three consecutive uh games in the world cup is that is that 
does that give them an advantage, if nothing else, mentally or psychologically? I mean, mentally, it certainly does. Once again, uh, from a fitness standpoint, I don't, I don't know about that, but mentally, I think it certainly would. They've they've done it three consecutive matches, so they're experienced in it over the last couple of weeks. Uh, they're used to it. Um, and I think the other thing is that France is going to go into this game as the favorite expecting to win. And I think if this game reaches extra time, Croatia's is playing with house money. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think, I think the pressure is going to just sort of mount on France with every minute that ticks off the clock in this one, the longer this game goes with Croatia hanging around, if that ends up happening is going to be increased pressure on, on France and more of a focus on them. So, uh, yeah, if I'm France, I don't want this thing to, you know, be in doubt by the 80th minute at all. I don't want to be creeping towards extra time um, having not shored this thing up. And if it's in Croatia, if you're looking at a, a, a team like France, it's hard to find a weakness with them, isn't it? I mean, I think we yeah. probably agree that if there is a weakness, if there is a weakness, it's probably Pavard and Hernandez on the wings. I mean, other than that... That's not much of a weakness, class. though. That's not yeah, much of exactly. a weakness. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Everybody else is world-class, so it's like you can't say they're a weakness. Uh, so, I mean, the only thing you can really do is attack at the wingbacks, and hopefully they can turn it over and get a counter that way, but... Uh, I love that you just called Giroud world class. Yeah, I was going to say, thank you, Jack. I was sitting there thinking, I was scanning, I was scanning the roster and I'm like, now hold on. A, I'm, hold hoping, on. I'm hoping Giroud is benched for Dembele. <laughs> I am the world's biggest Olivier Giroud apologist. So that just amused me. But um, I think I wouldn't be surprised if they, I don't know if they start Dembele in a world. Uh, Cup I, I, I doubt, I, I doubt they do that, but um, I think he should have come on. Break. I think he should have come on in that match last, I mean, against Belgium for sure. Like a way earlier. I got nothing good to say about Dembele. Nothing. <laughs> and if you don't know why, then you don't know why. But you guys know why. You two know why. But I I hope he sits on his ass on the bench and just rots. But anyways, uh, uh I've got I've got Leon Goretzka heat towards Dembele like you guys got. Uh he as as uh, Jack said a couple weeks ago on the pod, Leon Goretzka is dead to me. Well, that is the exact sentiments that I, I, I have towards uh, Usman Dembele. U, what is his name? Uh, um, Uz, Demboos is his Twitter handle, at uh, Demboos. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so go kiss off, guy. Um, no, I, I, Giroud, though, honestly, uh, Jack, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, uh, had the, 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 the beautiful assist there um, on the uh, – which, which, which goal was that? I think it was the Argentina match that he yeah, assisted. Yeah, lo- lovely, lovely touch that he played out to the, yeah, to the right yeah. side. That, that, little, that little dink through ball perfectly weighted. And he has the ability to do that. He's not going to be if, – if, if you're depending on Giroud to be your all-in-all striker, scorer, uh, the guy who's supposed to put it in the back of the net, that might be a little bit, uh, I guess, ambitious. But he – He's not world class anymore, and I don't think I don't know if there ever was a time where he was no. world class. But he, in his in his ripe old age of thirty one or thirty two, he has developed this all around. He's he's one of the best link up strikers. Yes, in the world, in yes, my yes, exactly. I mean, that's what it is. He, he's not he's not the fastest. He's not um you know he's not gonna he's dubious finishing at times, but um his passing ability his vision his his off the ball movement and, and positioning and awareness and just overall intelligence is such that he can really contribute to the offense you know being up there and i think we see that from time to time and here's the thing as poor as he was um converting or even getting some of these chances uh, half chances into into full chances in this belgium game there's an argument to be made that Giroud was france's most dangerous p- offensive player in that first half he I mean, the, the guy was everywhere i mean the fact that we're, we're talking about how many chances he missed. 
is indicative of how many chances he had and like, you know, where he was popping up on the field in dangerous areas. And so I think he deserves mm-hmm. uh, some credit for that. He does. If he fails to convert in a World Cup final, he's going to get heat and he's going to deserve that heat. And I'm not going to be able to defend him at that point. But um, yeah, I've always felt that Giroud gets a little bit of an unfair shake. He is not he, he's not a 30 goal a year guy. He's, he's a 15, 20 goal a year dude who, who has a lot that he brings to the table outside of just scoring goals. Um, and he's, I mean, which is now I sound like I'm <laughs> using the argument I usually use against Franco DeSanto or something for Schalke. Oh but, God, you bring that guy up way too often. <laughs> Giroud, Giroud scores more goals than him. No, but, uh, yeah, I, he's going to start tomorrow. Obviously Dembele is not going to, and I, and I yeah. hope he puts in a good performance and I hope he, uh, scores a goal. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Anybody that turns their back on Dortmund doesn't deserve a start. Anyways. Um, so, uh, real quick, what are the, what's the, um, but I know, Richard, you just kind of jumped the gun with your score, but I'm going to ask you to present that one more time and, and ask you, what's your what's your key to the game? What, what is the one factor that uh, to look out for in, in tomorrow's match? And uh, what's your what's your final? Um, and the key is how do Croatia withstand the pressure that, that France are going to put on them? Um, they're, they're obviously going to. Yes, we don't want to put like Jack was saying, we don't want to overplay the tired, the tiredness factor, but. It's it's it, as the game goes on, they're gonna be tired. They're human beings. Um, as much as they train, they're still gonna be tired. We saw how Luka Modric was starting to drain at the end of the uh, the England game. So it's how are they gonna soak up the pressure, um, and how are they gonna exploit whatever weaknesses they can try to find in, uh, in France? Um, I think France are just ultimately too good all the way around. Uh, they got too many great players on their team, uh, and they got these two X factors, uh, especially killing Mbappe. Uh, his lightning quick pace, I don't think anyone on the pitch can keep up with him. So um, it, it's going to be a tough game. I know a lot of people want to say it's going to be a blowout for France, but I think it's going to be a very, very close game, and then it'll be, I think it'll be 2-1 with a late goal by France in the 90 minutes. Okay, Jack, uh, what's the key to the game to look out for, and what's your final score prediction? Final score prediction... Uh... Part of me thinks this might just be like a like a two nil for France, but I, I am rooting for Croatia in this one because if they uh, end up winning this game, I win my office pool, which will be very nice. That'd be a great um, story too, absolutely. Ab- yeah, for sure. And I'd I'd love to see them get on the board and make this a contest. Um, I'm just for me, France has just been so convincing, and Croatia is gonna. I don't know how long they can keep it up. We'll see, though. I, I I would love it if Luka Modric won himself a World Cup. I'm thrilled that he's in the final. This is a player that I think um, doesn't get enough credit at times for how good he really is. Uh, and I think the key to the match is, is going to be whether or not they can uh, keep themselves out of situations where Mbappe is going to be running at them. Um, as much as they can avoid those counters and, and you know, uh, isolated situations with some of their faster players on the wings, I think they'll set themselves up well to at least stay in the match and have a chance to, to grab something. And what's your final score? I'm sorry. Uh, I'll do it, Richard. I'll, do, I'll go 2-1. Okay. Uh, so I see it playing out pretty much the way all of Croatia's games thus far in the knockout stage have played out. I think they will contend. I think they will they will uh, uh, build up in the midfield. I think they will try to break down France's defense. And I do think that they will score a goal. I don't think that it will be a uh, goalless uh, match for Croatia. But I think ultimately the skill and the will and the 
the counterattack, the speed, and the we've been there and done that before. Uh, France are just two years removed, remember, from a European Championship final on home soil. That has to weigh on them that they lost that. That still burns that they lost to a Portugal side that had no business beating them, especially without CR7 on the pitch from most of that game. This France team has a lot to prove, I think. They can show that if they win a World Cup, that European Championship failure is erased. And they get to, they get to um, also join the, the, on the podium the golden generation of French players, Trezeguet and uh, Zidane from 1998, uh, Thierry Henry. Those guys who, that's who everybody talks about. That's, you know, even Platini doesn't get mentioned as much as that 1998 World Cup winning side, and, and for good reasons. So I think these French players just have so much motivation. I, and Richard, you said it's going to be, it's a good story if Croatia wins. Yeah, you don't see a lot of small nations winning the World Cup. Uh, it, it just doesn't happen that often. It's usually uh, a select few, probably six or seven countries that are really in contention every year that we talk about. And I, I think that France just has too much. I think that uh, I don't think it's going to go to 120 this time. I think they'll get it done. Might be, uh, as you said, Richard, late 91st, 92nd minute game winner. But I'm also going with a 2-1 result for France. I think they get it done. I think they get their second star above the crest. And I think they will be your 2018 World Cup champion. So I think that's a clean sweep for us, right? Three, three for France? Yes, yeah. sir. All right. Well, one final thing, since I do have the uh, FC Soccer Podcast on, I want to talk real quickly. You guys, as you said, are back in the Champions League for the first time, I believe, since 2014-15. So, with that said, you're off-season. You've signed some players. you signed some players before last season was even over. Uh, one guy that I'm particularly keen on is uh, Sané from uh, Hanover 96 previously. Tell us real quick, uh, who, else, who else do you like that you've signed, and have you done enough? to solidify the roster for a for a Champions League group stage advancement. Richard, go ahead. Well, obviously the big name in the room is going to be Mark Uth. Uh, what he brings in the attack or the potential he can bring in the attack. He's already, I think he scored in his first first scrimmage uh, against Southampton, I think it was. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, there's potential there. They've also signed some other some attacking midfielders. Uh, the names are slipping me right now, but... Um, they're getting there, and the, as far as depth go, with, with for the Champions League, they still need a few more depth players. Um, they're not far, they get, but I think really what they need to work on is the tactics and trying to get score more defensively. They're very disciplined. Um, I mean, you got to hope Naldo's going to have another great season. Salif Sane is obviously a, a, a great pickup. He could probably he's probably going to play next to Naldo, but maybe he'll play uh, defensive midfielder for all we know. Uh, but they picked up two good central midfielders, um, but. I think they need a couple more pieces to be Champions League ready for all that the grind of how many games they're going to play between uh, DFB Pokal, the Champions League, and Bundesliga. So um, they're getting there, um, but it's, I still like to see a couple more guys come in. Uh, Jack, talk about real quick. Uh, is this the year finally that my man Braille Mbolo breaks out? That really consistently has a good season for Schalke. I hope so. I really do. Because uh, if he doesn't, it's it's gonna. It's going to get frustrating. I mean, the kid is young. He had that horrific injury that he was really working his way back from. But, um, you know, that should be fully in the rearview mirror for him now at this point. Uh, he made the World Cup roster, got some decent playing time in the World Cup. I think he probably got the most playing time of any Schalke player that was at the World Cup. Um, and I am really looking for him to take the next step. And I think if he does, that's going to be an important um, piece of the puzzle for Schalke. He showed flashes last season, but he's... 
still raw in some in some. I think his decision making at times is poor. He he takes people on in the dribble too much. Doesn't you know uh, play the ball around, but. Um, he can be a difference maker. He does have that X factor. I think the signing of Mark Uth is huge, as, as Richard said. Um, if that guy can have uh, goal scoring form anywhere near what he had last season, that's going to be clutch because I think that's something we, we, we really lacked up top was sort of that talisman um, at, at the top of the formation there, knocking stuff in. And he's off to a hot start um, in, in preseason already. Not that you can take you know too much stock in, in those performances. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Steven uh, Stripsky. I apologize if I'm butchering that name from yeah, Union you, you Berlin. Yeah, yeah. Schalke continues to uh, do their uh, spite to Bundesliga hunting to to bring talent. It's worked for you know guys like Bergstaller. So uh, in th- this this new guy scored like a screamer in one of the preseason matches, which was which was fun to see. Um, I, I'm stoked about the work that we've done in the midfield in the off season. Uh, Salif Sane, as you mentioned, absolutely hyped for him. I think that's a a massive signing. Eight million that we paid for him. I mean, what a steal. In my opinion, brilliant. The fact that that guy only went for eight million, I think, is criminal. I think you know we we should have had to pay a little bit more than that. Um, Omar Mascarell. Yeah, uh, that's the name Suart, I can remember. Yeah, Seward Serdar, Johannes Geis yes. is back at least for the time being. Um, uh, so interesting. I read on him. Uh, I did read up on Geis recently, and 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 I, the situation that I, as I understood it, was Tedesco came out and said, you know, we're happy to have him back, but he has to understand that if he wants to stay on this team, he's got to earn his spot back 100% complete. So, I mean, how much how much of an impact do you really think he's going to have? So I've seen some quotes from him though that that seem to suggest maybe he's just saying the right things and he doesn't actually feel that way. But the quotes I've seen from him have been very positive that he's looking forward. To the, the competition and he's he's embracing that and he knows that he has to earn his spot and uh if that's true the way he feels that's absolutely the right way to approach it and mm-hmm. if that's going to be his attitude then I'm, I'm happy to welcome him uh you know back into the side um i, I think one of the big stories of the offseason at the moment is i don't know if we touched on this on this podcast is what happened with amin harit yes. following his uh his departure from the world cup um involved in an incident back in morocco where he uh struck a pedestrian with his car and that pedestrian passed away um there was some discussion about potentially he was trying to flee the scene he was in prison briefly i mean or at least it was held at like a police station or something um i haven't followed up on the story in the last couple of days but it, it seemed initially that his season's potentially in jeopardy like you know this career could, maybe too this could be a situation where he ends up going to prison or something for you know manslaughter or some some something of the sort. Yeah. Um, there were, once again, I, I don't know what the whole story is. Uh, there were some you know conflicting facts about you know whether or not it was like a street race situation, which would obviously make it so much so much worse. Um, so that's a huge story. Uh, obviously for the human element, you know, very tragic and pointless. Um, for for that man's family to for him to pass away in in, in that in that manner, but also you know this is arguably the young player of the year in the Bundesliga phenomenal signing for Schalke. Um, a guy who looks like he has, you know, so much potential to become a star in this league and he might not even be in the picture for this club this season. Um, and the last thing I'll say about Schalke real quick is, uh, the one thing I do think we need to work on is potentially some additional help, um, at at the, uh, the right and left back positions. Um, we have, uh, Baba Rahman on loan from Chelsea, uh, he didn't really get back into the squad fully at the end of last season. He was still recovering from his uh, his injury. Um, so we'll have to see how good he is. The one rumor I heard recently was actually that Schalke was interested in Diego Loxalt. Um, oh, Uruguay. Uruguay. Uruguay, yeah. 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 Which would be really interesting if he could be playing sort of a wing back position, maybe 
in place of like a Bastion or Chipka or somebody like that. That would be an interesting signing if there's any truth to those rumors. Uh, Richard, is do, should I should I have any reason to be excited about Weston McKinney this season? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I'm already happy because he's played a uh, central mid central defense uh, so far in preseason. So uh, Jackson, we hear hear all about that this summer and this year coming up. <laughs> uh, no, Weston McKinney is going to have a I think he's going to have a breakout year, even more so than last year. He's going to really assert himself in that midfield. At least we're hoping. Um, he he needs to keep making improvements because he's 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 on the right path. Um, if he wants to become a star not only on the team, but in the league and in the world, um, much in the same vein as Christian Pulisic needs to step it up and, yeah. and really uh, not only score goals, but also, you know, be on the pitch, be, be, uh, you know, be able to hold accountable, uh, be, uh, be at the first teammates for both defensively and offensively. So uh, hopefully he'll have a breakout season. So do you guys see Schalke as uh, with another top four finish and a return and uh, Champions League qualification again? I know it's kind of early, but uh, I, I do think that this team is coming together very well. Uh, especially as it con- as it pertains to their direct competition in RB Leipzig and Leverkusen and teams like that, I, I just think the Schalke with Christian Heidel and uh, Tedesco are moving in the right direction. I I, I don't see this as a one year sort of uh, uh, wonder with the second place finish. I mm-hmm. see Schalke consistently building to a consistent uh, to a, uh, a permanent place in the top four of the final standings. Yeah, I don't think the the Champions League finishes a flash in the pan. I think we're going to be back where we should be, and hopefully for several years now. Um, so back where you should be in fifteenth. What was that? I said back where you should be in fifteenth. <laughs> <laughs> um, leaving the season last at the end of the year, um, I did kind of feel that Schalke had overperformed a little bit by getting that second position, and so what I kind of expected to happen going into the season was. You know, we'd still be in competition for that Champions League spot, but probably not in second position in the league. But the way this offseason has kind of played out so far, is there a team that you think has gotten that much better than Schalke? I think Schalke has arguably made some of the better moves. I think Schalke is like significantly stronger than they than they were, arguably. I don't yeah, think any yeah. other team has made moves as good or better where you think that they're going to suddenly jump them and be that much more competitive. No, it's interesting. Uh, Dortmund's obviously made a lot of moves, like numerically made a lot of moves. I think we've done six, we have six new players. Uh, We've obviously sold Socrates. Uh, We've, uh, Batshuayi remains sort of a question mark, but I think it's looking more and more like he is going to be out uh, back to Chelsea and not going to be coming to the Westfalenstadion. Uh, I I agree with you. Uh, Bayern, Hasn't done any business, really. Uh, I think that it's going to be interesting to see someone uh, like Leon Bailey maybe not letting him go. Because it was looking at one point like the Premier League was going to scoop him up almost immediately uh, come this summer. And his, his second half kind of down downturn in play mm-hmm. with uh, Kevin Folland obviously was the, was the main guy, scored 14 goals for them. Uh, and, and Leon Bailey sort of took a back seat to him. I think Julian Brunt. With uh, the fact that Leverkusen's able to retain Bront and Leon Bailey, I think they're strong contenders for a top four position next year. But again, Tedesco's style of play is so much more defensive than the other front runners up there. Bayern, certainly much more defensive than Dortmund, who was a catastrophe last year in the back four. I, I, I don't see anyone else having surpassed you. I think, y'all, I think the signings Schalke has made has strengthened Tedesco's style of play. I think this is going to be an interesting race. I for sure think Schalke will be in the top four. Um, 
my my this is I'm gonna give you a hot take. Mm-hmm. I don't think Bayern are going to win this year. Oh wow. Wow. I think I love what Nico Kovac did for Eintracht Frankfurt, but he didn't have any players with big egos on that team other than, you know, Kevin Prince Broteng. <laughs> but Yeah, one year to, one year done. To, yep. He's going into a different animal with everyone on this team has an ego. How are they going to interact when he, you know, puts his his fist down and says, "You need to do this." You know, they're going to do what they do with Ancelotti and everybody else other than um um uh Hein uh, Yeah. Uh, there's the only one who who has the respect from those guys. I mean, even Guardiola, yeah. Uh, but most of these guys, their ego is so big. I don't know how they're gonna react with Kovac. That's gonna be interesting to me. And I think point. because of that, we're gonna have a problem like with Ancelotti at the beginning of last season, where the team didn't really trust him. They're gonna ha- they're gonna lose a lot of points where they could have won. And that'll be interesting to see if Schalke or Dortmund or Hoffenheim, uh, whomever, um, Tyler Evans and Jesse Marsh of RB Leipzig, the Americans mm-hmm. taking them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Schalke signed two more Americans, I think, also this offseason, too. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I like what Schalke, I love what Schalke did. I mean, I agree with Jack. No one's done better than them in the offseason, pretty much, um, in the Bundesliga. And so, hey, I mean, if Schalke get off hot and and Dor- and uh, Bayern do not, this could be very interesting. I do think it'll be a new champion this year. Who will it be exactly? I'm not sure, but I don't think it'll be Bayern. Just to, to wrap this thing up here, uh, but before we exit, we just talking about transfers, it's hard to believe, guys. We still have six more weeks of open transfer window. We are not done yet by a long shot. Uh, and especially as deadline day approaches, August 31st. Oh, what a it, it's it's it, it's uh it's it's too early to tell yet who's going to have done the best business in the Bundesliga. I think Dortmund's added a lot of pieces that they needed, or at least they thought they needed. I think they've rebuilt the back four around Diallo and Akanji. Uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what Favre does tactically as the season approaches. What he does right now really doesn't mm-hmm. concern me because, again, I think it's the preseason. I don't take too much away from it. Uh, Liverpool beat Tranmere 3-2 to the other day. I, I think... You know, Liverpool's way better than Tranmere. They're also not playing with like half their squad. So you just have to take these preseason results with a grain of salt. Dortmund Dortmund had a terrible preseason last year. They came out, they won the first five of their six first matches, jumped out to 19 points out of 21, and had Bayern behind them by five points. And everyone was ready to crown Dortmund Bundesliga champions on match day eight. And look what happened. So... I think Schalke has done great business, uh, and I think that you guys, you gentlemen today, have done great business. And I, I want to, since since there's two podcasts in, in Notion here, uh, in Note here, uh, Richard, go ahead and plug the Serie A sit down, please. And then Jack, I'm gonna have you plug the uh, the Schalke podcast, so we can. It's gonna keep this fifty fifty. Tell people where I'm they not, can find the uh, Serie A sit down. Oh, not only I'm gonna plug Serie A sit down, I'm gonna plug the articles I've been doing for World Football Index this during this World Cup because you guys are saying you got you got your quarterfinals correct. I've gotten my last six picks correct, the last two rounds. Perfect. Nice. So nice. I'm on a hot streak right now. I should go bet right now. Um, <laughs> so you can find my articles on World Football Index on the on 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 the World Cup that I've been doing. Um, but you can find us at Serie Sit Down at Serie Sit Down. It's it's very simple. Um, yeah. Yeah, check us out if, uh, for all your Internazionale, AC Milan, Juventus news, mm-hmm. uh, anything Serie A, we're on it. So, uh, yeah, definitely check us out on World Football Index, SoundCloud, any, any, anything, really. You can look us up and you'll find us. Jack, we'll tell, tell people real quick about the FC Shocker podcast. Yeah, so uh, very much uh, Richard's baby, but uh, a journey that he's allowed me to come along for the ride. Uh, since, Caress it. It was so sweetly. <laughs> since, uh, <laughs> since last fall. 
Uh, so we're about to head into season two of that podcast. It's a weekly podcast about all things uh, FC Schalke. So uh, definitely give that a listen if you're you know, just looking for general Bundesliga news or specifically, obviously, that club. Uh, it is billed as the only English language Schalke podcast in the world. That's what Richard says, at least. I've never fact-checked him on that. I just go with it. Um, I also <laughs> just go with it. I say that every time I introduce you guys, and I'm like, I hope I'm right on this. Yeah, so you can, you can uh, find that iTunes, SoundCloud, you know, those places as well. Uh, SO4 underscore podcast on Twitter in addition to that. Somewhere an English-speaking person in London in his basement recording a Schalke podcast is shaking his fist at us right now. I'm yeah, sure. we're going to get a cease and desist letter. <laughs> well, guys, uh, it, this has been a hell of a lot of fun uh, talking with both of you throughout this World Cup. And I look forward to talking with both of you many, many more times throughout the Serie A and the Bundesliga season as the season uh, reaches its start in just a few more weeks. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here on a Saturday morning. Really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Danke, Sean. Absolutely, man. All right, you guys, take care.